Welcome to the WorkSmart Podcast. I'm Philip Allen. You could be forgiven if you spent more time over Christmas puzzling over how your firm is going to achieve the four outcomes detailed in the FCA's consumer duty than you did wrapping presents or reviewing your latest energy bill. That was the calm before the consumer duty storm though. January has nearly been and gone, but the first Dear CEO letter of the year on consumer duty has already landed on the doorsteps of many firms who are still poring over the regulator's assessment of 60 firms' implementation plans. But don't hit that panic button yet. The WorkSmart team took time away from supporting their clients develop their approach to successful consumer duty implementation to record this two-part podcast series to calm the rising regulatory waters. In part one, I'm joined by WorkSmart's Director of Regulation, Julie Pardy, and People Strategy Consultant, Sarah Thwaite, to explain the FCA's expectation over consumer duty, the key data and management information you will need to present to the regulator to evidence good outcomes, and why, with less than eight months to go before the consumer duty becomes enforceable, why robust project management must now take centre stage. I start by asking Sarah what questions on consumer duty are firms asking her and also asking themselves. So let's get to it. Everyone that wants to know where everyone else is, are we behind? <laughs> you know, can I benchmark myself against my peers? Because everyone knows what the rules say they should be doing, or at least they should do by now, in order to have done the implementation plan. But what they don't know is to how to turn that plan into reality. And I think that there's a lot of that out there. So I can talk about how I can gain the data, consumer boards, focus groups and stuff. But if I've never set up anything like that before in my life, I haven't got a clue where to start. And I think the biggest thing with the whole of this is, as far as I'm aware, the FCA have never really explained why TCF has failed. And I think it has failed or why it's not working properly. Because without that, I think it's hard then to build on, so what does consumer duty look like? Because they all talk about it being building upon TCF. But if you don't know why TCF didn't work, then it's hard to build upon it. And I think the reason it didn't work is not because firms didn't do it. I think they ticked all the right boxes. But I think this is much more about data now. And that comes back to the fact we've got a regulator that says they are data-led and I think that that's where they had to go because they haven't got the staff or the abilities to do anything other than analyse data mm. to work out how they should regulate. I think that's what firms need to consider now. What data do we need to be able to present that to the regulator? So how are we going to collect that data? What kind of data are we collecting? How are we going to analyse that? Because I think in the past we've seen with lots of these things that you've got all the data, but no one actually looks at it or does any root cause analysis. <laughs> so you, you might as well not have the data in the first place. And from a regulatory point of view, they'll take more action against you if you've got the data and done nothing than if you didn't have the data in the first place. And then what are you doing with those insights? This really should be seen as a commercial thing not just a regulatory thing because if you get this right you'll actually understand your clients and your products and your services and so you should be actually be able to increase the bottom line and have happier longer staying clients who will refer you to other people so it should be a win-win this is positive regulation rather than 
another thing we've got to do. And data is the key to this, which hence puts WorkSmart in a, in a fantastic position to be able to help with those aspects of the data that fit in with your products and services. As you were talking about that transition from data to doing something with it and analysing it, if I can give you an example of a few things. So if we're moving to outcomes focused and people have got data, but they either don't use the data or maybe they don't interpret it, but actually there is a change in assessment. So if I think about the world that we live in and I think about training and competence and I think about competence in general, you've got people that have got performance appraisal processes that reward people for good performance, but that good performance isn't necessarily directly, maybe indirectly linked to good things for customers necessarily. Mm -hmm. And if we look at training and competence and the things that we do, so the observations that we do, the file checks that we do, then a lot of the observational material would not necessarily focus on the outcomes. It would focus on things being done. If we have internal audit doing an internal assurance program, they're checking on things being done as opposed to delivering the outcomes. So when people are thinking about the things that they need to do and where do I start and how do I do it at a departmental level, then people should be empowered to say of of the processes I run and how I manage them, how do I change that focus so that it still delivers what it needs to in concept, but actually also delivers against the, the consumer duty outcome. And that's, I think, really difficult because if there's a disconnect between the top of the project and the people that do the do on a daily basis, you almost need to empower those people in the departments to be able to do that analysis of their own area and what they need to change. It strikes me in many ways, the bigger the firm is and the more disjointed the project team is from the operations because of the size and complexity of an organisation, the more difficult this is going to become or has become already. But it also links there, Julie, doesn't it, then to the senior management and certification regime, because mm. there are going to be people responsible for their area. Have they taken reasonable steps now in line with consumer duty too? And I'm not sure all of those senior managers with that responsibility are doing what you're, you're saying and actually having mini project plans within their area of responsibility to make sure they are going to hit all the consumer duty aspects in terms of both that data collection, the analysis, making sure there are good outcomes for consumers and that their team is being managed and remunerated against achieving that too, which is what you're saying in line with the TNC, which not obviously all firms will have TNC, but those that do, then obviously that should all be brought together as well. And I do think you often get this is a project, let's pass it all over to the project manager. <laughs> and as you say, there's that disconnect then between the real world of what's happening in the organisation and what the project manager and the plan that's going to the board is actually saying, because no one has actually bothered to find out what's going on at the coalface. And that's where a lot of this will happen. But also firms, I think, in that supply chain have got to remember where they are in the supply chain too. So they can't just think in isolation, are we getting it right? Many of them will not have that direct connection with the retail consumer, but it's still going to be their responsibility to meet this whole consumer duty piece. So they've got to check what's happening further down the line. And those perhaps at the advice end, so a small advice organisation, 
it's not their responsibility to see what the product provider is doing, but they need to know what the product provider is doing in order to be able to make that assessment of whether what they are offering to the consumer is good for that consumer and meets the consumer duty or not. And if they see that there's issues with the product or there's issues with communication or it's not going out in a timely fashion or whatever it may be, they should be reporting that back to. So I think that whole chain is really important and I'm not convinced that the industry as a whole has understood that sufficiently at the moment. Our clients in your experience Understanding the big picture, as well as the micro issues that they need to negotiate to achieve consumer duty expectations by July of next year? Well, I've spoken to a number of non-executives that actually have been appointed as the consumer duty champion for their organisation. And I think the feedback wholeheartedly has been, the more you dig into this, the bigger it gets and the greater the challenge becomes. And so a non-executive who might have been providing services for the firm on a very, very, very part-time basis actually now finds themselves quite well fulfilled on a daily basis with trying to help structure the project in such a way that actually it will deliver the best results. Because a big part of the, in that scenario, the consumer duty champion being able to deliver against their accountability is sort of understanding the governance of the project, who's reporting to who, how can they be assured that things are happening when they should be happening, and whether they're happening in the right way. So I think at that level, there's been an awful lot of discussions while you might have a board meeting that's in the diary once a month, and there might be informal meetings outside of that that might happen maybe a couple of times during the month. We're getting feedback that, you know, they're much more actively involved in conversations on an almost daily basis as they start to build up towards, right, let's get this plan that we've just agreed and signed off implemented and let's make sure myself as the consumer duty champion delivers against my responsibilities. Hmm. How do firms eat this consumer duty elephant that they're now facing? (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the size, I'd say they have a knife knife and fork or a small spoon or do they... (laughs) (laughs) they have an exceedingly competent and capable program manager who can work with the business to dissect this into very small pieces because I think there's a real risk that this is so big that you're a bit of a rabbit in the headlights I know I've got to do something and there is so much to do and there's so much good stuff that we can do but actually we don't know where to start we've got limited resources we've got you know, issues with staffing roles not necessarily being fully fulfilled. We all know people have got issues with staff turnover. So you've got some real challenges. I think it's having a very robust and structured program of of activity, breaking it down into very small parts that can be worked through, as opposed to just seeing this one big task ahead that is too formidable to, to even start. Interestingly, that is what the implementation plan should have been so if it isn't that then the challenge that the board is supposed to provide hasn't I don't think been done effectively because the implementation plan wasn't supposed to be you know we've done everything it's all okay it was supposed to be what is it we need to do broken down into stages and saying these are the elements that we will need to look at and making sure the board was happy that everything has been covered so Obviously, you can't go back in time, but if I think firms, if they haven't done so already, then should go back to that implementation plan 
and check that it actually achieves what it needs to achieve because the regulator hasn't asked for it, but it says throughout all its documents, we may well ask for it in the future. And so you want to make sure that when they do ask for it, actually is a worthwhile document. But also it's a document that actually helps you because great to produce something just to keep the regulator off your back. But why create loads more work for yourself? Let's go back and make sure that's a plan that can actually be a true implementation plan and does break it down into those stages and what the good outcomes are from that plan that are actually going to mean that in the long run, you do achieve the requirements of the consumer duty. I think that's a really good point. And I think that firms shouldn't be worried about the fact that they might want to go back and change their plan. They look at the plan today and think in light of what we know now, v what we knew a month ago, that that element of it's not right, it's not robust enough, you know, detailed enough, then actually go back and change it. Because actually what that does then when the regulator comes in or or asked to look at it, it tells the story of evolution, doesn't it? As opposed to, well, we wrote that, we stuck it in the cupboard and then went, went off and did some other stuff. Yeah, and they will be asking for your board minutes or your senior manager meeting minutes. So, you know, if you've shown, oh, well, we went back and we thought we need to review it again because we're not quite sure we've got there yet. As you say, I think any regulator is going to see that as a positive that you're really engaged with this. It's not just being a tick box exercise. So I think that'd be a worthwhile thing for everyone to do, to consider it at the next board meeting or have, a, have another meeting to just look at that again. To make that a reality from what you both say, do they have the resources and the budgets to execute this? And I think it's also, though, fair to say that the regulator has said this should be proportionate as well. So if you're a smaller organisation, you're not going to do this in the same way as a larger organisation is going to be able to do so. And that's been true of SMCR, TNC, whatever that might be. But I think the regulator will be looking to see that you've allocated appropriate levels of resource to this. So in the same way as they talk about you know, not just concentrating all your data and your efforts on getting clients in in the first place and persuading them to take particular products or services. You need to look at the whole client journey about the customer experience. I think that's true for this too. Just make sure that you are proportionate in what you're doing. But as an organisation, you are looking at it in the round, but in the round that's appropriate for your size of organisation may well be very different from from what a larger organisation is going to be expected to do, where lots of these things may not run in parallel or use the same systems and processes. So I know lots of larger organisations that still are quite siloed in the way they operate and they have different technology for different parts of the organisation. In some ways, as a smaller organisation, you can see it all in front of you. <laughs> Actually yeah. make it a lot easier to achieve consumer duty in many ways. Mm. So they would have a single point of view of the customer, which yeah. makes decisions quicker and easier. Not necessarily yeah. simpler, but easier yeah. to actually make um, because yeah. of that. I mean, um, if you're a small advice organisation, for example, you should know your customers already, your, your clients already because you're doing regular checks with them about what their situation is, whether they are becoming vulnerable, 
whatever it might be. And so you've got that data much closer to hand than maybe a a larger organisation where there's many more links in that chain between those things. So you have got some benefits. It may not feel like it sometimes, (laughs) but I think from that perspective, you're closer to it perhaps than other people and therefore your data could hopefully be something that you, you probably know hopefully anyway but this just is making it more formalized. Are there any particular issues that jump out at you that you, you feel that come July 2023 they're still grappling with? I think one of the things that struck me and has always struck me especially as the regulators got more and more focused on behavioral economics and actually understanding the biases that people have is that marketing and product development teams are very, very good at picking up all of the analysis of, of customers, target markets, groups, behaviours, what people buy, why they buy it. And they use that in support of developing products and services that they then deliver to retail consumers. But what it would appear that firms are maybe not so good at, and the FCA have alluded to this in, in some of the papers here, is that actually when things go wrong or when they need to consider from an outcomes perspective whether what they've actually sold or delivered in a product or a service is working, whether they're using the same level of analysis. So for example, if I identify product X that I want to deliver to people within this age bracket or socioeconomic group, then I'm going to build a product, I'm going to plan all my marketing, my sales processes, my communications towards that, and I'm going to sell the product or the service. Then latterly coming back and testing against that product or service to say, okay, so did we sell it to who we thought? Are they using it in the way that we thought they were going to use it? Have we sold it to a completely different market? If that was the case, why did that happen? What was it about those people? And is that product and the subsequent features of that product relevant to them? So talking to Sarah's point earlier about data, and if you've got data, but you don't use it, it's worse than not having the data at all. I think a lot of firms have already got this data. And I think that they've got it maybe in places that they might not expect to have it. So for me, there's a piece here around looking at what we've got and maybe applying a different lens to it and not just completely worrying, crikey, we've got no data, we've got to start from scratch and it's all got to be really different. It might not need to be. And that's very easy for us to say, because that's massive, you know, even for a small firm for all the different data points that they hold. But, you know, part of this is you've got people within your businesses that probably have a huge level of knowledge that probably needs to cascade to other teams to help with this assessment of are we meeting these outcomes. Thank you, Julie and Sarah, for your insights. And thank you, the listeners, for joining us. We continue our discussion on consumer duty in part two of this two-part podcast series with Julie and Sarah, surmising for you the key findings of the FCA's most recent webinars on consumer duty, how your firm can effectively align their culture with the objectives of the new duty, before revealing what tech stack and data firms will need to have in place to meet the FCA's expectations. If you'd like to know more about how WorkSmart can support you implement the new duty, reach out to the team at info at worksmart.co.uk. Before you go, though, don't forget to check out our blog series on consumer duty that takes you step by step through the work required by firms to meet the four consumer duty outcomes. Check them out at our website, worksmart.co.uk forward slash blogs.